It's awesome. We'll give everyone, we're just going to give a couple more minutes. Appreciate y'all being here um, when we're starting here, but uh, we're on Pacific Northwest time. So it'd be just a few more minutes before we, we get going. Want to make sure we give Claude plenty of time to navigate what is obviously an immensely important um, issue, uh, very complex. And uh, so we'll definitely give him time. We'll pray for him and get going here. And uh, we'll start in two minutes. Actually, hey, Claude, while people are coming on, this would be kind of interesting. Tell us about the uh, the um, chapter that you just got published, the, the book that just I read it today, by the way. Um, but uh, how, how'd that happen? How'd you get invited to do that? And when, when did you write that? And Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I got the copy here. So, um, yeah, so this is this is the book, uh, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church. Um, the title might feel odd. It's not meant to make people feel bad, bad if they're having doubts about different intellectual or moral issues. Uh, it's more of just trying to help people process through those and, uh, look at, um, healthy, healthy ways, right? There, there's some healthy things to sort of, um, strip away sometimes when it comes to our understanding Christianity. So that's sort of the, the book project is obviously there's been a lot of different stories of different pastors or different prominent, uh, Christians or just regular folk, um, you know, sharing their sort of deconversion, you know, deconstructing stories, stepping away from the faith for a variety of reasons. And so it's sort of a book meant to help, uh, help address that and help people sort through those doubts that, you know, you don't have to, you have hard questions, you don't have to leave the faith, there's, you, you can sit and wrestle with those. And, and there's, and there's good ways to engage. So uh, long story short, um, I was asked to, uh, or given an opportunity to write on Christianity as the white man's religion. Uh, and given just sort of the race justice, more the race side of that uh, issue that sometimes people can feel like, you know, in order to really be my fully, uh, fully realized and celebrated ethnic identity, racial identity, it's actually like I have to step away from Christianity because Christianity is compromised on that topic. So I tried to write a little bit to that in terms of Christianity as white man's religion, more uh, longer and more thoughtful works on that question have been have definitely been done, but I tried to do it as a shorter way to just like for people, just people in the church who are, who are thinking about that. So that's, that's what I took up. Yeah. I think in, I mean, it was like five, six pages. How many, do you remember what you're Yeah, sure. What's cool. Yeah. What's cool is every chapter in the book is, is maybe eight pages and there's some really, really great thoughtful writers that are doing different stuff there. So it's a really, it's a really neat project. Yeah, it was cool, man. We were, we were happy for, I was proud of you, man, to see your name on the, on the cover of some, some really well-known authors. That's great. When's your, uh, when's your book coming out? Your big book? Uh, hopefully summer 2022, uh, Lord willing, if I can turn, turn it, finish it and turn it in on time, uh, this summer. And then, and then everything else goes smooth with it. It would be, uh, summer 2022. So seems kind of far away, but really, I think it'll, it'll come pretty quick. Let me ask you one more question on that. Is writing as easy as everybody says? Like it just flows. <laughs> it's not, you know, it just kind of pops out. Yeah. 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 Never believe anybody that makes it sound easy. We all, we all know that it's, we all create stuff. So it's that same, that creative cycle of like, every time it's like, can I actually do this? This is, then I'm a genius. Now I'm embarrassed to have my name attached to this. And now I'm stressed. And then settling back into that middle of like, this is probably just fine. It's probably right, right, 
right in that level of mediocre. So it's every time it's that whole, that whole creative cycle that we all know. So it's a good, it's a good competition with myself to, to see if I can push myself in that way. It's funny, man. I think it was Willie Nelson in his autobiography. His first sentence was something like they say, right in the first sentence is the hardest one period. I'm glad that's over and then began yeah, the rest of yeah. this book. So yeah, that's pretty insightful. All right. Well, I'm going to, let me, uh, let me kick us off. I'll, I'll pray, um, introduce Claude for those that may, may not know him I, as I'm looking at different names and stuff. I know a number of you were on the last call. Um, we will record this, but I did give Claude full editing power, um, to say yes or no, or cut something. So hopefully we'll be able to, uh, distribute this for those that aren't able to be on here. I know there's a number of people that, that aren't able to be here tonight, but are looking forward to, to be able to engage and listen on this. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, my hope is, is we do this kind of how to think and talk better together. And then we apply what we talked about a month plus ago in, in both trying to think a biblical worldview and, and talk. Um, the, the better together is important. This is really for our church. This is not, not just a, a general thing. We think it could be valuable to anybody, but really how do we as Redeemer Church as a family um, think and talk better about a number of really thorny issues? Um, and um, one of those is, is race, really important, um, incredibly important. It's always important. It's, it's always timely. I imagine um, even, even the recent uh, weeks and, and just the, our news feeds just continue to highlight the importance of it. And so um, Claude's going to lay out for us uh, a brief history of race, uh, four common uh, approaches and kind of pros and cons and where they ultimately fall short. And then some, hopefully, I asked him, I said, hey, man, I don't even want you to clear this with me. Just tell us what you think as a church, some next steps we should consider moving from, from a conversation like tonight. And, and depending on what he says, I might add a few things in as well. Um, and I, I got permission from Claude to say this. Um, I trust Claude immensely. Um, he's one of the a dear friend I've known a long time, one of the best thinkers I know, a fine Christian man, uh, a lover of the word of God. Um, but he's also, he, he, what, he, what he lays out today, I mean, is always for all of us is in process. And part of why I'm laying this out for you is as we think and talk better, the idea here is to listen and consider and submit things to the word of God. And we don't want to react. Our culture is so full of that. And so um, originally we kept calling these forums and, and I kind of envisioned this to be more of a forum, but the reality is it's more of really a, a, a lecture um, because it, we're not going to exchange our ideas as much, but my hope is this will catalyze the exchange of ideas from this time for us. Um, let me highlight though, something that we as followers of Christ who, who love God's glory and love King Jesus and want to submit to his word that, that I pray we all believe in. And if you don't, I think you are, um, I think you are missing what is very clear in the Bible that our culture can cause a lot of confusions on the cause of problems, the solution to problems, all these things. But let me lay out something that all of us should care deeply, deeply about. Um, I don't remember who sent this to me. Um, I can't remember if they sent me like an article, if it was a blog, if it was a sermon or what, but, but it goes back to a sermon by John Piper, um, January 14th of 2001, um, that he preached on Racial Harmony Sunday. And the title of it was this, God's Pursuit of racial diversity at infinite cost. God's pursuit of racial diversity at infinite cost. And he preached from Revelation chapter five. You could go to a number of spots, Revelation, end of our Bibles, this caps on this picture of, of the, this multi 
ethnic world and the new creation. And, and where he pulled his sermon title from was from this verse. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The infinite cost, the very blood of Christ was to purchase all peoples for God. And so the, the, the church has to care, must care. And, and we can have different perspectives on expressing that care and different understandings and different, but, but let's, let's just all begin at a place of deep agreement that, that God cares so much about racial diversity that, that Jesus bled for it. Um, I'll give you the first summary point that, and then I'll hand it over to Claude um, after I pray. Um, that Piper ends the, the sermon with, he says this, he says, very simply, racial diversity and racial harmony are very, very important. To buy it costs God the Father, his son's suffering and death. And to pay for it costs Jesus his life. Therefore, it is very, very important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that this time would be, um, we would feel it as worship. Um, we, we thank you that whatever we eat or whatever we drink or whatever we do, we do all to your glory. And so may this be a time where we, we get to worship you as we sit underneath your word, as we try to think and talk better. So give us clarity of thought. Give us, um, give us thoughtful minds and tender hearts. God, we, we, we long for there to be um, a deep and abiding unity in your church and an incredible witness that we would be salt and light to a world that is just going, just feels like it's gone so sideways so quickly. And so, Father, would you help us? Would you help Redeemer Church be a people that are as comprehensively biblical in our thinking and in our behaving as possible? We know that's only... Um, through the work of your spirit. We thank you for the promise of the gospel that declares a banner over our lives. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so we get the opportunity to, to freely repent, to confess sin, to grow, to mature, to be patient with others, to forgive, and on and on and on. Be with Claude as he presents for us tonight. Um, might this be worshipful for him? Might he feel a, a comfort that this is his, his family from afar um, getting to benefit from the gifts you've given him and that he would just feel loved and supported. You give him um, your words. I know that he wants to speak. Ultimately, what honors you um, brings glory to Christ and is helpful to us. And so be with him, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Claude, it's all yours, man. All right. Great. Appreciate that, Rob. Thank you. That's, that helps. Um, yeah, it's a great way to set, set the table. So, um, and yeah, just, uh, appreciate all of you. Give me, uh, giving me your, your ears, um, and your eyes for this time. And just, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to offer some thoughts that I, I hope will, will help. Um, and, you know, certainly under no illusion or delusion to give a definitive, uh, problem-solving word to to a major major societal and uh, ethical issue, but I, I do think there are ways that hopefully over our time um, we can feel like we uh, clear um, clarify some things and and get some things in in place that can hopefully uh, help you all as a congregation um, talk talk better about these things, think better, and, and do so in a way that that really um, brings 
uh, brings our whole pattern of thought um, under uh, the reality of of Christ and His kingdom. So, uh, so that that's the hope. And um, and uh, yeah, again, grateful for your guys's time and investment um, in this issue in this way. So, thank you. Um, I want to start um, by just kind of going through what I want to take us uh, toward. Um, as Rob mentioned, one just like I think um, briefly, just uh, want to put forward how we can think better about race by uh, historical awareness. And so I just want to do a, a little bit there. Um, and then thinking uh, better about race by um, some of the handles we used last time, uh, intellectual humility and precision. I want to do a little bit there and then move to some of the common approaches to the issue of race uh, and justice that we see in the present. Um, and then uh, and I end with just some ways that we can out of that better thinking uh, practice and better talking. Um, and, and again, as Robin mentioned, this is really for you all as a congregation. If I were to think about this issue um, on a kind of broader scale, like presenting it just to people in the city or in town, it would be a little bit different. But I think for a local congregation, um, this is sort of what I would what I would uh, be excited to put forward. So let, let me start by just giving you this verse that I think um, is really critical when we think about talking and reflecting better on um, on race as a local covenant community uh, under Jesus's lordship, united in the spirit. Uh, so, so Jesus says this in John's gospel in chapter 13. Uh, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, there is nothing as a local church that that we do that is exempt from from this new commandment that Jesus gives, right? Including talking and thinking about important, emotional, controversial, and really critical things. Um, and so, when we as a as a as a church uh, think and talk about race, right, we we do so in a way um, that is a witness, right? A positive witness or or, or a negative witness, right? It, but it can be a witness of Christian love and. Um, and so we can talk honestly, we can talk passionately, um, we can we can talk um, understanding the stakes of things, but we can do all of those still within the banner and confines and animated and motivated, controlled by by Christian love. And um, I will tell you, we, we do not see that happen today, uh, really um, outside of uh, the church sphere nor inside the church sphere. So uh, there is a ripe opportunity for us to to let people know that we are Christ's disciples by the way that we think and talk about this in ways that has overlap with the with the world, but also has some distinctive um, distinctive flavor that really only comes from from the King and His Kingdom. So I want to put that out there for us, really to to ground us first. So thinking better, um, I think requires historical awareness. Uh, it, <laughs> you you can't uh, do much good thinking about the topic of race without uh, you know even just some basic cursory understandings of of what that looks like historically. So I'm sure for a lot of you, this will feel like um, uh, a retread over some old ground. So I'll just encourage you to bear with me. I, I won't, won't make this long. And maybe for some of you, this will feel like, hey, this is this is filling in some gaps that maybe um, maybe I thought about at one point, but hadn't revisited, or maybe just never really had had the time or the space or, or kind of the onus to think about. So wherever you are, I, I just I think it's important just to just to visit the historical component. 
Um, and, and part of this is related to what we mentioned last time about thinking and talking better in general is the need for intellectual uh, humility. And uh, one of the ways that we can do that around the issue of race is just to have historical awareness, right? And, and that historical awareness allows us to sort of step back from, you know, April, you know, 27th, 2021, and to like get as much as we can a larger sense of the dynamics of this issue, right? And when we do that, we say that we're saying that this issue is larger and deeper than my perspective and my experience, right? Not that those things don't matter, but this issue is, it, it, it's, it's broader than that. It's, be, it's deeper, it's bigger, it's more complicated than, than you know, even the last 12 months um, in, in our country. Uh, and so uh, to quote uh, an old uh, white writer, uh, William Faulkner, he says, the past is never dead. Uh, it's it, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And then to quote an old uh, black writer, uh, James Baldwin, uh, he says that uh, majority culture people, uh, he says white people are still trapped in a history which they do not understand. And until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. Uh, Baldwin, if you've read any of his writing, is can be pretty sharp um, and and it's got a little bit of a pointed edge. So. I might say that different than he would, but that's how he decided to say that. So anyway, the point is that history will will help us immensely, and history is with us even now in the present, right? We're 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 downstream, downwind from uh, from the past of our world, our even our individual families, and, and so forth. So historical awareness is really critical for us to think better as Christians and as citizens of the kingdom about the issue of race that that we see and face today. And then specifically for us as Christians, right? Um, historical awareness helps us to see uh, where our faith has been misapplied uh, on, on the issues of race. And it also helps us to see sort of our family family tree of lineage of where uh, our brothers and sisters in the faith have gone before us, where, where they have done well, where they've stood for righteousness. And we can learn from from both of those things, right? The, the tragedy and um, and the faithfulness. So I think really the, the the major component for historical awareness around race is just really understanding that race is a, is a relatively new idea. Um, in, in race, uh, race emerges uh, in, you know, the late um, middle 1740s, 1750s, 1770s, uh, around that time. That's where we can kind of trace the beginnings of the phrase uh, of race. And obviously before that you have, um, you know, different different groupings of ethnicities and so on and so forth. But really where we start to see the idea that human beings are, are there are actually like different types of human beings is, is in that time period. And what we see at that point in time is that race becomes either created for the purposes of controlling others or it it it, it, it sort of depending how you want to look at it, it it emerges actually justifies the treatment that we've already been acting enacting upon this particular group of people and so whichever way you cut it there's there's debate there race uh, it's pretty fair to say historically race has been created uh, at that time point for really the purposes of of in the eyes of god injustice right and that's where you hear that language that that race is a as a biological uh fiction um but it's a it's a social construct that has costs right and so you know biologically there's there's uh there's more difference between uh people of the same ethnicity than than even those of different ethnicity or different complexion pigmentation and so biologically that we know and also we know biblically right there is there is one uh humanity there is one kind of human race right we're all one in adam 
unless we read the Bible uh, wrongly the way many people have done in the past and, and try to trace the origins of, 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 of Africans to the curse of Ham in Genesis, right? Which we know is erroneous. Um, you know, there, there is one humanity, but the construct of race says that there's actually different types, right? Of, of, of human beings, right? Uh, there's, a, there's sort of the, the European type, the, the African type, um, a sort of native type uh, and an Asiatic type, right? And so those are the things that are, that are happening there. And, and, it, and it's used, right is created to classify and to support the uplift of some um, and the the uh, oppression of others right it's used to sanction and say yeah they these folks are really savages they're not of the same type as us um, and this is this is how we get into things uh, like uh, slavery right and, and then specifically for us I think it's just important for for us as, a, as Americans to just recognize the ways, at least just at a cursory level, some of the ways that that plays out in, in the colonies, right? Uh, where it's the presence of African slaves of, of dark complexion that enables, right, uh, the sort of melting pot reality to get shifted down into only two categories, white and black, right? And, and that's what that's what happens with race is instead of having uh, African slaves, right, from Ghana or Nigeria or, or whatever place marked by tribes or ethnicities, and then we have a people of, you know, Anglo descent, right, Irish folks, um, uh, uh, Welsh folks, Polish folks, Italian folks, so, so on and so forth, right? Uh, the presence of African slaves uh, allows, uh, through, the, through the construct of race, allows the colonizers, allows different people uh, it allows them to to meld things into uh, into white and black, and so uh, primary identifiers no longer become being Irish, being Italian, being Polish, being Welsh, or whatever. It, it's melded into white, and the idea of being white um, emerges and is constructed up and alongside of being black uh, for the purposes to create a hierarchy, right, uh, of, of a fundamental difference. And if there's fundamental biological difference between the races, then naturally there's going to be some sort of hierarchy. Uh, if we're fundamentally different, then at some level, somebody's got to be fundamentally better, maybe by an inch or maybe by a mile, right? And we obviously know enough of the history to see how, how that was played out. And so uh, that sort of history, I think, just even on a very cursory level, is just really important for us to, to, to remember. Uh, to consider again, or maybe to even just begin to consider uh, for, for the first time. And the reason that's important for us is as followers of Jesus, right, we we desire uh, and we we, we want to live by and be shaped by uh, truth, right? No matter how painful, ugly, uh, or or incriminating it may feel or be. Uh, and so for us, right, we, we want to be able to see that the construct of race uh, is something that that has been shaped for for the purposes of uh, of evil. Um, and and we, we have to see that. And then alongside of that, that history, right, we need to know our family history that shows how uh, the church was uh, oftentimes uh, very much um, a part of that construction uh, of this particular injustice, right? And so we think about, you know, in the colonies as this is emerging, um, think about 17th century Virginia, where uh, white Christian denominations are trying to figure out, are we really going to evangelize uh our African slaves, because if we evangelize them and then baptize them, then we're going to have to treat them. We're going to have to treat them equally if we if we baptize them, right? And to just know that there was wrestling around that, there was wrestling around whether that should be done. Um, that was that was common. There's obviously outliers, but but that was a common perspective. And so they chose the myth of racial hierarchy 
over the truth of our Savior, right? And it's just important for us to to understand that and to and to uh, to know that that's what we stand downstream from. And so, uh, just a just a cursory grasp of that helps us to understand that there's been a long history of the idea of racial difference, uh, which then produces in loud ways or in quiet ways the idea of a racial hierarchy, right? That that this group is better than this group or is more valuable or is smarter or is uh, or is more suited to to make decisions and these people are more suited to to labor right these people are are more in line with with uh with what's the best of humanity and these people have more of a capacity for the worst of humanity like all of that stuff doesn't come out of a vacuum but but is but is constructed and and really as as we know right is a manifestation of, of sin in the human heart so so that really really helps us um and then alongside of that history right we, we also have to grapple and 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 understand the history of of how god has worked uh to bring us forward from from those days and those times and to recognize that there's been real progress in the area of racial justice and there's lots of long and hard ways uh to go and so all that to say, historical awareness, it just helps us get uh, a sense of the size and depth of the issue, which then makes us humble, right? It makes us humble in how we think and talk about the issue. We, we realize if, if we get a sense of the history and the scope, we, we realize that like we, we cannot um, uh, solve the issue um, you know, with, with, a, with a two minute clip, right? That may have great rhetoric. It may feel really compelling. It may um, call out the people that maybe need to be called out or we feel need to be called out but we got to understand we're dealing with something that is that is so uh that is that is so deep and so large um that 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 we can't just solve it in in sort of the quickness that we might desire so history helps us there it makes us humble before the issue and then history also gives us a sense of progress right in perspective God has been at work, despite the evil uh, of 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 men and of women. God has been at work. God continues to be at work, and then this this gives us a hunger and a thirst for His righteousness to continue to to show forth, and for us to to have a part in that through our prayers, through our thinking, through our acting, uh, through our conversation, and through our lives of, of faithfulness as as Christians. So that's thinking better uh, in terms of historical awareness. I think the other piece in thinking better that's really, uh, really critical on this issue uh, is uh, is humility, as we're kind of hitting on, but also is clarity. So, so just uh, think about this for for uh, for a moment. Um, dictionary definitions, right? Always an exciting topic. Um, Merriam-Webster they had have recently actually. Um, I, they do this all the time. They add new words, right? Um, whatever this cool new, you know, uh, uh, trend among the youth, right? Usually is a new strange word that's added each year. They have their word of the year, so on and so forth. But had recently, uh, they had recently updated their their definition of racism, right? Um, which I think is uh, fascinating, really interesting, and also shows us why people struggle so much to talk about what is already a difficult issue, is because some people are operating from an old definition, and some people are talking about a new definition. But most of the time, when people are talking about this issue they never stop to say hey what do you mean by this like what what do you mean when you say racism it still exists what do you mean when you say racism doesn't exist what do you what do you mean when you say these sorts of things and so uh up until recently miriam webster's definition of, of racism is is really that kind of idea of what um 
what we might just think of, of being prejudiced, right? The the idea that, you know, one particular race is is better, uh, better than, um, but better than another, right? Has superior capacities or, or potential or intellect or, or whatever, right? Um, uh, but that, that's changed to, to now be, uh, to signify something uh, around uh, racism being a system of advantage uh, based on color, right? So more of the um, racism is prejudice, plus power, right? That's sort of sort of a, a new de- definition that 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 you you I'm sh- certainly have heard um, explained uh, over the last couple of years or seen that pop up, right? So so all that to say, when we think we we'll try to think better about this, like it's it's important for us to to know that oh, there's been a shift in how this has been talked about. Like okay, let, like let, let's think about that. And then when we're talking with each other, like that that means we got we <laughs> we definitely have to clarify like what what do we mean when we're saying these sorts of things? Um, think as well about some of the other words that are that are very prominent. Um, in cultural conversations about race, right? So obviously racism, we just talked about that, the need for clarity there and definition. Um, But think about terms like whiteness, right? Um, Think about terms like systemic racism. Think about terms like like white supremacy, um, right? And so these terms are are used all the time, but almost never uh, does somebody uh, stop in some sort of dialogue or conversation to actually like run it back and just say, hey, kid, what, what exactly, like, what exactly does that mean? Like, you know, I've, I've heard that. Let me, let me make sure I understand you. And especially we're ta- again, we're talking about within God's church, within uh, your local congregation, right? This is, this is a place where it's like, man, if, if there's ever a place we can ask and clarify this, this is the spot. This is the place where we get to do that. Right. And, and you just think about um, how, how difficult it is to have any sort of productive conversation about anything when the terms being used uh, make people feel some type of way. And then on top of that, we never even define what we're talking about, right? So, so the the issues and the challenges are are serious. But if we would stop to to think better, right, then then we'll be able to 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 talk better. Um, so I think there's a historical component about thinking better, and then there's sort of just the the desire for clarity and precision and understanding um, that will help us uh, help us immensely. Um, along alongside of that, on the issue too, uh, I think it's important to also think about. Um, sort of the spectrum that people are on when we think about race uh, and we think about racism. If we were to think of a spectrum or a curve, you know, you think about the two sort of extremes, right? One extreme, you have uh, the the belief or the disposition that racism is non-existent, right? It's a sort of figment of the imagination. Uh, those who speak about it are, are uh, unfortunately living and operating out of uh, maybe some form of a victim mentality, right? So, so you have that at one extreme. Racism doesn't really exist. It's primarily a thing of the past, um, not really an issue today. Um, on the other end, right, you would have um, the perspective, right, all problems in society, all um, disparities between uh, different ethnic groups uh, are the result of, of of systemic racism or of racism, right? So racism doesn't exist, essentially, and racism is uh, essentially um, the, the fundamental issue um, at the root of the discrepancies and um, disadvantages uh, and inequalities we see in society, right? Those, those two things. Um, I mean, just like just like any issue, like most of the people that you deal with are usually not are usually not all the way over there. And what that means is like you you actually like can can operate and can talk with people. Like if people are not all the way at one corner or all the way at the other corner, like there's there's room to talk, there's room to understand, there's gonna be places of agreement. Um, and so it, 
I think it's important when we're thinking about this to just consider the spectrum, uh, to consider the spectrum for yourself. Like where where have you been? Where do you sort of lean? Where where are you? And then probably more importantly than all of that, like why? Like well, how, how did how did you get to that place? Um, and to actually like think about that. And then as you're talking with others, to to think about like, man, wh- where are they on the spectrum? And and then to ask them like, why? How 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 did you get there? How did you come to that sort of conclusion? Like when we think better on, on in those sort of terms, we realize like, okay, you're one. We're as Christians within the same church we're almost never enemies right unless you're you know punching somebody in the face we're not enemies and so when we're thinking about that spectrum we realize like okay like you're you're not all the way over here even if you were like okay we can we need to talk but but we can just sort of begin to step a little bit closer to thinking and understanding where we're coming from so so i think thinking about that spectrum is is really key um then the other component about thinking better uh, i would put forward before turning to these common approaches um is to uh, think about, as we mentioned last time, right, the clarity piece of um, of sort of like just the components of an issue, right? And so, if you think about race as a race, race and racism, um, you have so many different pieces attached to that topic. So, with race and racism, you have the question of the problem, right? Is this a problem? To what degree is this a problem? How is it a problem? Where do we see this, right? There, there's a lot of things just right there. Um, if you were talking about this with somebody, with a friend, you could talk for hours just about that. Where do we see racism in society today? Um, do you think we see it? Why or why not, right? You, you could spend hours talking about that, right? But then, um, but then out of that, you have implications, right? Okay, like, yeah, I, I do see racism here, or I've heard my friend tell these stories, or I've experienced these myself, or man, I've, I've thought these things at a certain point growing up in my own life, um, or this is just our history. Like, we, we have this in the past, so it's probably with us today in these ways. So you have that problem piece, but then you have the implication, like, is this part of something larger? That's a whole nother conversation. And then the conversation about, solutions like what what are the ways forward and so we're we're dealing with all of these different sort of layers and i think when we're trying to think and talk better if we slow down to think in those sort of ways we realize hey okay we we do see that there's a problem here we 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 have agreement about how this is an issue we have an agreement about how this grieves us as christians uh we have an agreement that this is connected to something larger I think it's connected to this larger thing. You think it's connected to these larger things, but okay, I see where we're coming from a little bit here. And things begin to um, clarify when we stop and try to look at the layers and 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 sort of compartments of an issue. So that's what I would put forward for for thinking better, just in in those sort of categories. And then I think out of all of that, thinking better means being able to sort of like step back and to kind of like imagine just kind of like peeking out of the windows of the church. Right. Um, I know you guys still have some probably some nice stained glass windows, or I feel like you did at some point peeking through the stained glass over that Lake Wacom or whatever. Like, just imagine like looking out of the windows of the church and just just kind of like being like, hmm, how, like, how is the world like, how, how are the people outside of uh, outside of God's kingdom? Like, how, how are they talking about this? How are they approaching this? I think that's a really important way to for us to think about this issue, um, because God's wisdom is is going to be found in an exclusive way within the scriptures, but God's truth is also in a, in a small T way found all over the place, right? There's image bearers operating everywhere. And so we want to look out and say like, what's, what, what's being discussed and how outside of the walls of the church, where can we learn from that? Like, where is that helpful? But also we're going to see some things that are going to, we're going to say, Hey, like there's, 
there's problems with that approach, right? There's gaps with that approach. And I think that's really important because if we, if we do that, we, we're thinking about our thinking rather than sort of like just getting caught up um, in, a, in a perspective, just getting caught up in rhetoric. We're actually like thinking about our thinking and we're thinking Christianly about our thinking. And then on top of that, we're doing it together. Um, and so uh, George Yancey, uh, who's a Christian and a sociologist, um, wrote a book called Beyond Racial Gridlock, and he talks about um, the sort of approaches to the issue of race um, and racial justice um, and sort of racial unity and these sorts of things. And he uh, he outlines sort of four common approaches um, that, that he sees as... Um, as a researcher and sociologist uh, around this issue, right? And I think obviously this is incredible, like we know this is incredibly, incredibly timely on the forefront of, of conversation culturally, um, politically, in all, in all sorts of different different ways, right? People are asking in light of just the last year, but really even the last five years, uh, like what, what can I do? How can I learn? How do I engage in this? What, like, what does this mean? I never thought about these things before or people have like, man, I've thought about this for a long time. And so uh, many, 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 many people are, are thinking about this. You just look at the best-selling books over the last year or two, right? You, you see that everywhere. Um, you see, uh, you, you know things, uh, you know something is an issue um, when, you know, Starbucks is making statements and the NFL is doing things, right? Um, like the, there's just a, a gigantic sort of shift. And so it's important for us to, to think about the ways that people are trying to tackle tackle this issue. So Yancey kind of gives four, four different ways, four general approaches to race, uh, racial injustice. Um, the first approach is uh, colorblindness. Right, and this is um, the perspective of as you as you've likely heard in uh, encountered, or, or maybe uh, maybe this is kind of where you are, or where you've been. Um, it, this is the sort of perspective that 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 race doesn't matter, um, and actually the problem is that we focus on race so much, and that if we if we kind of moved past um, talking about race the problems around race would would quickly decrease um, and, and sort of begin to begin to evaporate right this is this is sort of uh, what's operating when uh, a person speaks about a racial issue um, they see they see a concern they voice that they, they say something uh, and then the person responds by like why why are you being why are you being divisive right um, that that's sometimes what's at work there is that by bringing up the topic you're actually creating creating a problem creating more of a problem that than, than what's really there. Um, Yancey doesn't mention this, but I think attached to this is a is a different type of colorblindness, uh, which would be a, a spiritual colorblindness. And this is the idea that is, I think, pervasive among some kind of sections of of of, uh, of God's church. Uh, and it's sort of this idea that if if people if people were to just become saved. Uh, then our racial issues would go away, right? Like the the issue the issue is, man, people people need to know Jesus, and um and, and these issues would would evaporate. It's what um, um Christian Smith and Michael Emerson call the miracle motif. Um and obviously we want people to be saved. Um <laughs> we'd be very excited about that. Uh we pray for that. We share for that. We we want that to happen. But we also know that's not the way um, conversion uh, and sanctification and those sorts of things work, right? When when somebody is a uh, you know, if somebody has anger issues, we we don't tell them like, hey, when you get saved, you're, you'll never be angry again, right? These sort of issues are going to evaporate, right? And so, so there, there's sort of a um, uh, a naivete there that 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 is a spiritual sort of colorblindness. So, so that's colorblindness. The the second thing that that Yancey puts forward as an approach uh, is Anglo conformity, um, and he says uh, 
Angle conformity is basically the belief that the problem around racial injustice, racial disparities, um, is that minorities need to improve. They need to adjust economically, um, and and they need to make more progress. And then, if they uh, make more progress and become more socially um, kind of fluent and engaged in majority culture and are more like the majority culture, um, then these sort of issues will, will dissipate. And that's sort of the road to success. This is sort of a kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, um, uh, component. Um, with, with each of these approaches, what's interesting is they, they each, right. They're oversimplified, but they're still representative. Each of them has like elements of truth in them. Um, and each of them has, has some merit. Obviously each of them has, has, has some flaws, right. Um, and so, uh, so Anglo conformity, like, man, like helping people improve, helping people, um, uh, succeed, helping people get jobs, helping people, whatever those sorts of needs are, those, those are great things. But the idea that simply through a person's effort to conform to a majority culture, these sorts of things will go away is, is obviously mis misinformed. So, so Anglo conformity following colorblindness. The third thing he says is multiculturalism, right? And Anglo conformity, you don't see people talk about that as much multiculturalism, you definitely do. Um, and this sort of approach says, um, the problem is that our values and culture are too Eurocentric. Um, and that if, if, as we value other cultures more, right, we lift up and honor other cultures, other perspectives, um, we'll have a more harmonious, um, connected, just, um, community. Right. And so we need to embrace uh, perspectives, um, and honor and dignify other, other cultures. Um, Obviously, again, there, there's some there's some strengths um, and some commendable components to each of this, right? Like, obviously, God, God made um, ethnicities, and, and in every single culture, there's components that are that are God honoring. There's components that 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 are not that need to be repented of. So, honoring culture, celebrating uh, cultural uh, diversity in 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 many ways and in in many respects is, is something that's a great thing. But can that carry right? Does that carry the weight of of, the, of this whole problem? Um, and and also you know, a side note is this one uh, sometimes gets enacted in some strange ways. Um, I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, when Nancy Pelosi uh, and a lot of different speakers of the House wore kente cloth um, uh, um, uh, earlier in 2020, <laughs> they wore African kente cloth uh, and, and kind of had this moment of solidarity that I think for um, at least I can at least speak for myself and you know some of my friends that I talked to was just like I don't, it was just a moment of of sort of comedy and embarrassment. <laughs> I didn't feel like it did anything, but it's kind of done in the name of hey, let's embrace and honor this culture, which is a good thing. But sometimes if we put all our weight there, we end up doing some 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 weird stuff that just. You just kind of look can look strange. So so again, strengths there, but like the the weight, right? People put a lot of weight on each of these on their own, which 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 are insufficient. So you've got colorblindness, you've got uh, Anglo conformity, you've got multiculturalism. The fourth thing that Yancey lays out, and this is the one that you see more most prominently, I think, um, is white responsibility. Uh, and so this says that white people are exclusively um, the problem uh, when it comes to race and racial injustice. And we need a shift of power away from white people in order to achieve true justice. Um, so this this is the one that you that you have probably felt or have seen um, or, or have have reckoned with in some way, shape or form. Um, again, there's, there's some strengths and some truth to all of these. Um, the issue is that uh, each model really uh, just offer sort of one dominant idea when obviously the issue is far more complicated. Um, 
you know, obviously one of the particular problems with white responsibility is, is there's just a faulty anthropology behind that, right? A faulty view of, of how, of human beings and how humans work, right? We, we're not under delusions that, that if we, that, that minorities are somehow uh, more inclined to righteousness and sinlessness than majority, uh, majority culture people, right? Like white, white, black people, Latino, Asian, um, indigenous folks, none, none of us have a monopoly on righteousness uh, or, or have, have the full monopoly on sin, right? And so, so shifting, shifting um, places of power uh, in some ways, though, though it's needed, and I think it, it helps us, but it, it can't, it can't rectify, um, it can't rectify everything in and of itself. That, that, that's a, there's a strange understanding of what, uh, what a human being is, um, that, that would lead someone to think in those sorts of ways. So, so those are, those are the models, the, the common approaches. And I think Anglo conformity would probably be the one that you don't see very much, but the other three, you definitely, you definitely see depending on circles you roll in, uh, parts of the country that you're in. The thing that Yancey hits that I think is really important is that the problem with, with each of these is they try to carry too much weight. Um, they have each has its own strengths in, in a variety of, of 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 disadvantages, but but the main thing, uh, particularly thinking again as a local church, as a as a body of of disciples of Jesus, is that none of them really bring anything uh, uniquely related to Christ, his truth, scripture, the gospel, the kingdom, none of those bring them to bear at all. In fact, some of them run in that sort of opposite direction, right? Um, and so they, they sort of, uh, <laughs> there's just, there's just a, a void there uh, that for Christians, we can say, hey, there's some truth and helpfulness in, in this, in this sort of way, but there's some serious, serious um, uh, deficits and gaps there. And so what's really important then, I think, as we kind of think better, kind of look and peer out at what people are proposing and, and what different approaches are, the work then becomes like, how do we as Christians within a local congregation think and talk better about these issues, learning the best from the different sources that are out there, but also thinking uh, specifically and uniquely about the distinct elements of how our faith empowers us, compels us, animates us, motivates us, equips us to engage in, in this conversation, in this issue within our within our communities and also in, in how, we, how we think and how we process. And so uh, I think it's it sounds simple, but I think we have to, in any approach, Approach, we have to think about where where is the place and power of confession, of grace, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of truth telling, uh, of repentance that have been modeled for us and won for us through Jesus and His life, His death, and His resurrection. Right, and and those begin to move us towards the uniquely Christian ways that we have as those filled with the Spirit, uh, under the truth and authority of Jesus, guided by the truth and the wisdom of Scripture, and also using reason, right, in, in our common knowledge community to to try to move forward and what Yancey proposes he, he says that that um, from his view it's a the the sort of distinctly Christian flavor comes forward in what he calls uh, the model of mutual responsibility um, and he, he says out of this model there's the recognition that majority culture and minority culture members both have a role to play in reconciliation and justice uh, and harmony along racial lines right so so uh, in distinction from uh, from white responsibility, that would that would put the onus um, put the onus there. Yancey says, like, if we're going to think, if we're going to try to think Christianly about this, um, there's going to be shared responsibility. Uh, he, he's wise, and I think he's 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 on track to say, you know, 
majority culture, minority culture, both have a role to play, but their roles are not necessarily the same or equal. They're shared, right? We're, we're, we're connected together, right? We're, we are, we are citizens uh, of our nation together. We're citizens of our neighborhood together. We're citizens of our church and the kingdom together. Right. And so we have, we have shared roles that may be different, uh, but we, but we have, it's, it's not all on one or, or the other. Um, the second benefit of this sort of mutual responsibility is that it, it doesn't ignore historic or present day damage done to people of color the way the colorblind model or Anglo conformity model does, right? So, so there's an honesty uh, and a historical awareness there. Um, third, he says mutual responsibility, it doesn't absolve racial minorities uh, of the dignity of responsibility on the issue the way white responsibility model does, right? That says, hey, all, this whole issue is white people need to be better and do better, right? And, and there, there's a way in which that, that uh, um, infantilizes minorities, right? It's like, hey, white people, if white people do better, things will be better for y'all. Um, there, there's, there's a missing gap there, right? That, that view is helpful because it's aware of system and structure, but it, in, in its desire to be aware of system and structure, it forgets that individual people uh, are given agency by God and, and we, we get to do things too. Um, I think the most important thing about the mutual responsibility uh, model is that it, it, ha it accounts for the idea of sin uh, in, in so far that it understands that if we just shift the seats at the table, we things may be better um, in in some ways, but that doesn't get to the root of the issue, right? We're, we're dealing we're dealing with something deeper than just a matter of hey, if we if we swap out the disadvantaged uh, and put them in the place of those who who maybe have been more affluent, more advantaged, things will get better, right? That that has no uh, account for for the nature and idea that that every single human being uh, is under the sway of sin until they're redeemed, or even as they're redeemed, still uh, deals with with the nature of of sin in their flesh so so that's what that's what yancey puts forward and um i think that's helpful i think sometimes that also seems too abstract and so what i would want to run us through real quick uh is sort of like <laughs> what do we do with that like <laughs> what exactly does that does that mean and and here here are the things that i think uh, come out of that that perspective that like, hey, this isn't just an issue that those people need to fix or that white people need to deal with. Um, this is this is something that that we share in uh, as citizens of our nation, but as but as members of uh, of the kingdom together in a local congregation. So these, to me, are some of the big distinctive elements as Christians that we must bring to bear on the issue, along with the common wisdom we, we might see in, di in different places that, that emerges from non-Christian contexts. So I, I think the first essential is just understanding the whole basis for our concern here is the character and nature of God and the fact that human beings are made in the image of God. We, we have to understand that we're starting here. I think, I hope, um, I, I have a sense... Um, that around this issue, uh, many white people feel an immense sense of guilt. Um, not all, but many do. Um, I, I would hope that this would help people. And I would also hope that it would help people, white, uh, white Christians, to understand that when we base our whole motivation for this issue in the justice uh, and character of God in the Imago Dei, that we're standing side by side with the civil rights movement that was primarily led by Christians <laughs> that did this because they believed in God's justice, God's character, and the image of God. And so I, I get this sense that um, 
that it can feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough on this issue. I don't speak out enough on this issue. I, I don't, I'm not about this in uh, this issue the way that I see other people. But it's like, man, this this is this is our domain uh, as Christians, and we stand side by side with the giants of of the civil rights movement and those before that have stood for 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 racial justice in these ways. Um, I think the second thing that we have to hold distinctly as Christians is that our expectations around this issue, it's not rooted in a, a sense of human progress, um, but in the power of the gospel and the teaching of Jesus, right? There, there's this sense that like over time, everything has to get better and will get better. And so we trust that like human beings can just make things better over time. History doesn't tell us that and our theology doesn't tell us that. Our hope is, is that God is with us and God is at work. Um, I think the third component for Christians on this issue to think and talk better is a profound willingness to tell the truth. Um, I think one of the things that could be especially helpful would be to think back through Yancey's four approaches and to just think of like, man, where where do I land? Where have I land? Um, I think to tell the truth about your own journey with the issue of race, like how has your racial imagination been formed? Um, we talked about the idea of race as a biological difference, which leads to ideas of racial hierarchy. Like how how have you inhaled that? In your life, um, it's it's it is impossible that you haven't to some degree. Um, maybe you've experienced it in a negative sense. Maybe you've seen it. It's been around. You heard it from somebody else. Whatever. I think we have to tell the truth about what our own stories are in relation to this topic, in order that God would show blind spots. We repent where we need to repent. We change. We grow. Right. So it's profound willingness, I think, to tell the truth. Um, I mentioned that connected to that oh, profound willingness to admit blind spots to repent. That's that's what we get to do as Christians. That's how we we entered the kingdom. That's how that's how that's how we walk forward. As 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 painful as that can be, uh, attached to that, um, I think a profound willingness to forgive and to say those who do wrong. Um, I think that's one of the components here. Is as we try to talk about these things as as the church together, uh, we will stumble. We will we will talk out of pocket. We will say something sideways. We will offend others. And so we need to put on display the realities uh, of the gospel together if we're going to grow, learn, and, and move forward. Um, and I think attached to that is this recognizing that racism uh, is, is not just, uh, you know, we talked about it historically, it's not just um, something crafted at the hands of people. Ra racism is a spiritual force of evil because the, the world is a contested space between the kingdom of God and the domain of Satan, sin, and death, right? So, so we have to understand some Ephesians 6 sort of ideas that, that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, um, but, but powers, uh, spirits, and, and principalities, right? And so there's a prayerfulness that comes there. And so I think those are the pieces that, that we have to fill in and that we have to add uh, when we look out and say, hey, how, how is the world thinking and talking about this, like we have to add that distinctly Christian worldview and perspective. Uh, otherwise, we're getting tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of whatever is a popular ideology that is emerging in this moment. And let me tell you, um, there are uh, publishers that are looking for the, I, the next best idea on this topic, and we're going to put that out and run with that. And hope they hope they have the next new wave because it, it, you know, we have to admit that's the, it's profitable if you can have an, a new perspective on how to make this. But if you have, if you have a, a the idea, the a proposal on how to solve this, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're genuine or not. You, you, and if it's good and you have a platform or whatever, like a check can come with that significantly. And so, um, we want to learn from everything that's out there, but we, we are, we are. God's people. So what does that distinctively mean? So that's what I would offer there. And then real quick, because I, I want to make sure we have some time to have some questions. Um, I think some of the, the way that we talk better um, about race out of all of this thinking 
um, I think going back to John 13 uh, is let our talking be marked by love. Um, you can have a passionate conversation without being combative. Um, you, you, can, um, you can talk sharply, honestly, frankly, if necessary, and still be operating and doing that with a discernible, explicit um, disposition um, and affirmation of, of Christian love. Um, and, and, and I say that because when we talk about this in the church, the point of our talking about this issue is not simply to try to defend our position, not simply to try to be right, but we're doing this for our, our formation as disciples, right? We're talking about this so that we can honor Jesus in this area, so that we can obey, so that we can show the compassion and the light of Christ in our lives as disciples, right? Um, and so, I, I may, honestly, I was thinking about this today. It reminded me of um, of of the approach um, of of these all these house building TV shows, um, HGTV, and all these different shows where they're like they're they're there's these competitions of how you're going to build the house, and they're always asking like, "Ooh, what's going to add more value? What if we put a bowling alley down there? Is that going to add value? Does anybody like bowling? What if, what if we put this here? Right? They're always asking, "How do we add value? How do we add value?" And and I think about when we talk about race within the church specifically we want to be thinking about like how, how how can we talk about this in such a way that actually is going to build up Christ's body in understanding in awareness in godliness um if if need be right in 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 understanding that this is more complex than you think it is right our, our conversation the aim of our conversation is love that builds up the body of Jesus so that we can obey and display Jesus in in in, in all of his compassion all of his truth and all of his glory so so i think talking marked by love we, we already hit on talking marked by clarity and charity where we can where you could say you agree like vocalize that that that, that makes a, a difference where you need to say say more where you need to ask how did you come to that conclusion have you ever considered the opposite right those, those sort of things um you know, think less about people's position and more about how they got to that position, right? Um, and then our precision in our terms, right? And then we can journey, journey better together, right? Um, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll close, I'll close with this. Uh, sometimes we'll wonder, like, how can, how can we help people along that do not seem to be concerned about the issue? Or when the issues come up, they offer something that feels like, something that you might agree with, but feels like service level, like, man, yeah, we just need to pray. We just need to pray. Right. And I think if we're marked by love, we, we would think like, how can I love them and help them move forward in this way with deeper understanding and deeper faith in action. Right. And, and how we might say like, yes, we do need to pray, but like, would you, would you be willing to think with me about like how, how, like how we can put our prayers into action, how we can think about this better as Christians, right. That, that sort of disposition, I think takes us, takes us a long way. So, I know that's a, a ton of information um, that honestly feels like it scratches a tiny bit of the surface, but that's what I want to put forward, that thinking historically, thinking about approaches, um, thinking distinctively as Christians, and then how we can sort of begin to talk better. But I would imagine the most profitable thing would be a chance to actually take questions to get into like real specifics of things. So um, I will stop there and then allow us to to turn to actual questions because i think that's where uh where we can we can get some some different flavor of value thank you claude appreciate it brother um so uh there dane posted a number in the the chat area that you can text questions to um we wanted to offer this to, to you um for those that maybe want it to be a little more anonymous and so we'd love if you text some questions in there um 
Claude, I know I had sent you some questions from uh, from stuff that came in before the last forum that that we kind of we tabled until this one. Are there any of those that you want to maybe uh, address while people are texting in their questions? Um, is there anything in there that stood out to you? Um, if not, I'm happy to. I got a couple things that I can throw your way, and and you can take them whichever direction you want. Yeah, I think one that I think is uh, one that I that I resonate with uh, was I, I believe related to um, you know sort of. Um, you know, sort of like making room for differences, right? And and the idea of making room for differences under the um, the intention of unity, um, that that's important. But sometimes that can feel so broad and so mushy that we never actually like, we never actually right really deal with things. And so, there, you know, I, I I resonated with that question that I think was sort of like, what what do we do with that? Um, I think some of that's related to like, I think some of this is just helped by like the basics of relationship with people. Like, like if you don't have a very good relationship with somebody, it's very difficult to talk about, to talk about like very um, pressing issues, right? Like it's, it's, it's very strange. I think the two things that I find is like, you either need to meet someone the very first time and talk about deep things immediately, like in the first 15 seconds, or like you need to like, have spent like, you know, lots of hours with them to, to talk about these things. So I think sometimes just the sort of relational dynamics and like building, like building the relational, like equity, um, of just time together, um, like worshiping, hanging out, recreating that, that allows you to talk about these sort of things. And I think that's what allows you to press deeper and to say like, Hey man, I'm like, I know, I know, you know, I know we're, I know we're united in our faith. I know we're Christians, like, but man, it feels like we're just, really a part on this issue. Like, and I, I would just ask people like, how, how did you come to that position? You know, or, or like, Hey, how did you come to that perspective? I, I would also probably internally try to reflect, write, talk with others about, um, this particular issue and like, feel like, and, and try to sort out, like, do you think there are certain sort of like, um, essential, uh, postures or stances for a Christian to have on the issue of race and to like sort some of those things out. And actually, if you like, sometimes you write that stuff down, uh, you, you kind of realize like, Ooh, like, like I'm really, that, that might be a stretch or like, Oh, you know what? I, I clarified. It really, it really does come to this like concern and compassion. And I think there's a lot of ways you can embody that. And I think, you know, if you, if you step back and think about that, or like, actually, if you have the relationship, like to actually just jump into the conversation with that person. Um, but I think on a, on a broader level, like I would, I would try to think about like, what do I feel like is essential, you know, is, is sort of like core uh, for a Christian thinking about these issues and, and really try to, try to do the work on your end to, to really say like, Hey, where can there be unity and difference in this? Thanks, man. Let me give you, I'll give you another question. And, uh, and for people on the call, please like text them in. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll hit as many as we can. I think as Claude said, really what's helpful is to take from the framework and then just start to apply it to specific, um, specific stuff that's going on. And if you don't, then I got to share like all the stuff you've told me privately and I won't say who said it. Do it. Do it. it. Come on, man. I mean, I just want to lay out all the various things I've heard. You, should, you really week. should. Um, well, maybe we'll see if no one texts. Well, now they may not. So, all right. Um, here's a question. I often find that when people ask for a biblical resource on this topic, what they're actually wanting is a resource produced by a white conservative perspective. How do you help break down that perception? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think there's just a matter of publishing where I think most, most, a lot of books in the Christian, in the Christian sphere are published by, by white authors. So like, you know, even if somebody wants something different, you know, that's just a lot of what's out there. Um, 
yeah. Do you interpret that question of like, how do you find better resources? Like that last part isn't totally clear to me. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if they're trying to counteract that, that that's not really what we're saying. And it might be somewhat connect. I don't know if they're taking in the direction of, um, is Christianity a white man's religion? Mm, and so gotcha, how do gotcha. I, how I see, I see. To say like, I see. I don't know if that's the percept. Yeah. But take it in that direction. How do you like, like how, how would you respond to somebody who says like, Hey, you're talking from the Bible, but I'm already like, it's a, that's a white perspective. Already. Got you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think the way you can do that is uh, <laughs> there's actually a couple ways you can test that is just to, we talked about this last time. Um, you know, look at, look at when people are saying a biblical perspective, what texts are they turning to and how are they turning to them? Like, and we talked about this last time about being um, thinking Christianly means the whole breadth and the whole scope of scripture. So a white, a white biblical, just broadly speaking, right? Um, generically speaking, again, we talked about this with politics would turn us to, you know, first Timothy uh, one, and then Romans 13, right? Pray for uh, first Timothy two, rather, excuse me, uh, pray for, pray for our leaders and then submit to the government. Right. And, and so, so like you can discern, right. You can discern like if someone, when they're talking biblically, are they, are they thinking about um, the way social, social location experience influences how we read scripture. Um, and so, so, so yeah, like you can also tell like if people turn to those passages or do they turn to like Isaiah and do they turn to like Amos and they turn to the prophets and these things that are very significant in African-American Christian tradition that honestly uh, are probably the best guide for us on this issue because they show us how this is not an issue that is manufactured by people um, or, or solutions are not manufactured, you know, solely by people outside of the church, but like the church has claim on these sorts of things. So, so I think you can even look at like how people go to the Bible, what parts they go to, um, do they deal with, do they deal with the things that just seem to confirm the perspective that they already have? So I guess the short answer would be like, the more Bible they give you, the more you know that they are they are on the right track, right? And from different genres, different places, different locations within the biblical story. Cool. All right. What advice do you have for a white person who wants to acknowledge and reach out to black friends when tragic events happen in the news without being weird or making it about yourself? That's a great question. Um, man, I, I think outside of, if these are your friends outside of the event, outside of something traumatic happening, uh, which it just feels like they, they kind of come in these waves, I, I would ask them beforehand outside of that. Like uh, as, as we do with our friend, our best friendships, man, how could I like, you know, when in these sort of situations, man, I, I, I think about you, I pray for you. Like, man, when I if something like this happens, like what's the best way to, to support you and care for you? I would ask them outside of that. It could be weird to do it in the moment. So I would, I would, I would ask them outside of that and, and just, yeah, do what you do it, do what your friends, um, you know, kind of commend and, and recommend. Um, and I think I appreciate that question just because it, it recognizes that, that obviously no people are monolithic. So, you know, you can get one friend that'll tell you this, another friend that'll tell you something different. And um, so that's, that's what I would encourage is to just actually ask them. It's great, man. Yeah. And if I, I don't know if I can piggyback on that, but I think that as Claude has laid out this, you know, talking about, uh, there's a, there's a really good podcast that talks about, um, the black bell curve, which talks about these polls and kind of different perspectives on paradigms and the handles that Yancey gave. And, and I think one thing that's, that, that I've personally experienced is not everyone that's a person of color wants me to reach out. 
Um, not even all my friends do, and they, they have different, they have different desires. And that's, that both makes it, I'm just gonna be honest. It makes all of this yeah. not much harder because it's not monolithic. Um, well, you know, white fragility is a book. Um, you can go find lots of agreement and lots of criticism from yeah. lots of different people with lots of different ethnicities. And so not, none of this stuff is monolithic. And I think that's why where we live is so much in the social media broadcast headline yes. world. And we don't actually get to talk to one another with the nuance and the perspectives. And so I just, I commend that to everyone in the church because that like in our church, the conversations I've had with people over this year are, it's truly stunning. The, the, both the range and then the speed of judgment and the speed of rejection or the speed of it's this, this is what everyone thinks. And I, I would have literally just come from a meeting where someone said something completely different and, and they might share the same skin color. And that's, what's really, really tough with this. Why I think it requires us to, to have some well, intellectual humility, I guess, patience. Yeah. And so, all right, let me give you another one, man. How do you deal with the weariness as a person of color the, in parentheses that comes with spending time talking or studying with white friends and at the end of it to be given pat answers or to be told there's nothing they can do how do you deal with the weariness as some as a person of color as you're studying this with white friends and at the end of that time to be given pat answers or to be told there's nothing they can do yeah i guess to be told there's nothing that white people can do is that i think they're saying like how do i deal with uh, yeah. I, I don't know who wrote the, i don't know if yeah yeah this is a person of color or a white person yeah how do you deal with weariness as a person of color i don't know if they're asking you as a person yeah of yeah 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 so yeah. but basically i'm weary i study this stuff i sat yeah. down with my white friends and mm. it was like pat answers or there's nothing i can do how do you, mm. you just discouraged to mm -hmm. weary and tired Mm. hurt frustrated angry. yeah 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 thanks for clarifying that that, that helps yeah um man i mean i think um we we we, we turned we turned to jesus i, I mean i i i would put I, I think history is our friend uh so i would situate that in in sort of the scope of history as well like i wonder what i wonder what dr king felt like you know, like, like I would, I, I would feel like I'm not alone. Like I'm standing with giants in this and, um, and, and take solace there the way he did also in his faith. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I think the reality is though, like with this issue and you mentioned it, Rob, with sort of social media component, um, the headline component, I, I don't think we can overestimate the challenge of having a year apart from people while this conversation bloomed. So, the reality is there is a lot that you can do. There is nothing you can do to solve the situation for our nation and for our world or our culture, right? But that's never, that's never been our sole individual uh, responsibility anyway. We're, we're called to play a part, right? With the life and the talents and the treasures that we have. So there's a significant amount of stuff that you can do when you can get outside and be with people um, or, or when you can go to your neighborhood and you can make a difference in the school um, down the street from your house that that has inequality within it, right? There, there are many, many, many things you can do on, on the scale of um, your life, your neighborhood, your town, on the scale of changing the tide of what's happening culturally, or on the scale of like changing the system of our country in the ways that, that there's brokenness. Yeah, you, I mean, uh, 
yeah, you can't do, you can't do that. Right. Uh, you can pray and that is something that matters, but I think that you have, you have agency and action within the scale of, within the scale of your sphere of influence. Um, and so, so I think, I think there is, there is probably more, um, more, more action that can be taken, but I think it is, is incredibly difficult to have sat with the last 12 months and to see different videos of people dying on camera and to see all of these sorts of things. And, and I think there is a real helplessness that, that I, that I understand and, and that, that hurts, um, as well. So, so I just want to affirm that too, and, and pray that I think that will, that will change for us in some ways when we can be together and can engage and can serve and, and can be, uh, can, can care for those in our communities. It's good, man. You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about what media has done to us and you think about the three O's of God and it's like, we're, we're in some ways kind of omnipresent now, yeah. Um, but we're not omniscient. We're not omnipowerful. Yeah. And so yeah. we're exposed. And so then it feels like just yeah. even in our local place, like the, I, you know, just the individual relationship and the conversation and the thing that can move forward locally. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so it is powerful and it can do It so makes cool. a huge difference. So. Yeah. And I think one of those things, one of the challenges for us too, is like, especially over this last year is, is taking in the stories taking in all this information. And then what happens is um, we haven't been around people. And so like we, at least for me, I can find like projecting things onto people like because I haven't been able to talk with people or projecting things onto folks like, and, and I think there's just um, a, a need to be aware of like the, the proclivity uh, to, to do that, that we kind of get, we, we get in. And, and I think one of the other challenges too, in, in thinking better is some of, how that works out is like whenever something happens or whenever someone say something says something we automatically put it into like this narrative or that narrative and and just the challenges that come from not being able to relate and deal with things together in an embodied way it's um, good man all right as a um oh, uh keep getting questions added so they're scrolling i'm trying to honor the order here a little bit um i've been listening to a myriad of different voices on the issue of race from people of other races some for systemic racism and some against. Um, how do we take comments made from people of color or other races that say this is not an issue? And maybe I'm gonna, if, if possible, I wanna honor that question, so hit that. Address, like, how, how do we process when we're hearing from, let's say, uh, two people of color say completely contrary things? What am I, what am I supposed to do with that? T tell me what I'm supposed to do when I hear, yeah, this is it, no, this is like, and I think you've already told us, but just remind us, because that's what we're being confronted with. We can find voices from all perspectives and sides. And um, what do we do with that? So did you forget the question? Because I kept going. Oh, I remember the question. Yeah, you tell you you tell me what to do with that person asking. You tell me. Um, I was on a panel. Um, I was on a panel uh, for something. I don't, I don't remember what it was. It was something about race. Um, and um and I'll just tell you, there was somebody, uh, uh, another uh, African-American cat that was on there. And some of the things that he said, I, I didn't realize my face was on the screen. And, and I just made like a, whoa, like, I, you know, I was surprised to hear, to hear, that, hear, hear his perspective. So I, I, I think, I think the, the, the thing that I think about on that is um, it sounds like this person is doing it. So I commend that. I, I get worried when people run to find a black voice to affirm the thing that they already thought, and then they, they grab that and then just run with it in their confirmation bias. I think this person is not doing that. So I, co I commend them. Um, I mean, 
I mean, I, I think those are the things to to try to work through. I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say. It's just to to continue to read those things and to think widely and to ask yourself, like, just to analyze them, like, why, like, why, why, how, why is this person coming to this really different conclusion, and why is this person coming to that one? And then to try to read someone that's maybe in the middle, and then to just do the stuff that you would you would probably have to do if you were in eighth grade would be like compare and contrast, right? And then actually try to think and and bring people in in your gospel community in your church to talk about it together and be like, yo, like Ibram Kendi says this, right. And Shelby Steele says this. And then this person says this, like, what's the deal, you know, and to talk about those things together. I think that's, that's how we, that's how we grow. And that's how we can think better. And then to say like, man, are there, are there, are there biblical connections and merits here? Are there biblical connections and merits here? And to what degree? And you're going to probably find them in some different pockets. I think what, what you'll see is some people really run toward individualism uh, and people, some people really run to collectivism, like, like, and, and I think that the challenge, or I think the thing to be aware of is to look for those two things that, that usually can, um, can parse things. And, and I think because so often we have thought like everything is attached to an individual's choices and actions, that there's a really strong overcorrection, in my opinion, to thinking about systemic and collective issues. And, uh, and so that's sometimes where you get that. And then some people will see like, oh, they're thinking about, they're talking about this in a systemic way. Uh, they're talking about that too much. So then you get people that like double down on the individualist side in a, in another exaggerated way. So then the, the extremes get, 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 get further extreme and stretched out. Right. And then you're kind of like, man, this person said this, this person said that. So, so I would try to do all those things. I would bring other people into that to think about it. I think, you know, also just to recognize real briefly, like people really do like, we cannot discount how much of our own experience shapes like these different positions. So there's people that, you know, that maybe um, I think of uh, a prominent black, uh, black pastor who released a, a book recently <laughs> um, that, that is, uh, that is, uh, um, I don't know what to say about it, but, you know, he had had experience kind of on the sort of like, Hey, all of this race talk is like a distraction from the gospel. But like some of his experiences, like growing up in inner city and from his perspective, you know, seeing like, man, like people, people were not, um, were not doing what they needed to do as individuals. The situation was, was difficult, but uh, they didn't do what they needed to do. So he's on this real strong individualist sort of bent in some ways. And I think that comes out of people's experience. So, so I would also hold that in mind too, but I would try to analyze and then do it communally. That's good, man. All right. How do we, Claude? How do we approach mutual responsibility without putting the onus on our black friends to educate and inform white people? I am so thankful to hear from you about this, but also want to learn from you about topics beyond race. I've heard black coworkers say that they feel like their voice is sought out about racial issues, but not other non-race based conversations. Is that a challenge for you or how do you view that scenario? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great point. Um, I mean, I think it goes back to just sort of relationship. Like if you, if you're in relationship with people in a, in a sort of meaningful way, you, you realize like, wow, this person has not thought about race at all. Like they haven't read any books on this, but you know what they have read about or like what they have studied or what they are passionate about is, is X or Y. And, and I think being aware of that, yeah, I think there is a tendency to, to, um, 
to think like, oh, okay, is, a, is a, uh, this person is a minority, whether it be Latino or Asian or, or, or black or whatever. And to think that like, they, they have a lot of thoughts on this. And <laughs> the funniest way you see this is to listen to rappers or uh, rappers talk about, <laughs> talk about, talk about some of these issues or just some of the comments that they make. And you realize that like, whoa, again, their experience shapes so much, right? You get rappers who like grew up in really difficult situations that was not just, you know, their parents made bad choices, but like, man, they were, they were born into a circumstance where they started, you know, 17 steps behind a lot of the rest of us. But then, you know, now they're rich and they say, Hey, yeah, it's, you know, racism isn't real. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a second. Like what? And their fans turn on them and, and get confused. And so, um, so, so yeah, so people are, are speaking out of their experience and just because somebody is connected to a particular group, it doesn't make them, you know, an expert. So, so I think it's just knowing, knowing people in relationship, you know, what they're passionate about and, and not putting that on them. I'm going to ask you a super easy question. Uh, your dad, you got three kids. Um, you're, you know, laying out uh, Yancey's kind of four categories and then his mutual responsibility approach. Um, many of our families are wrestling through how race is being spoken or talked about. Some are really excited. Some are really, really angry. A lot of people, I would, I would say that most people are kind of in the confused um or i don't know what to do with this and so which is as you as you know you already said that the kind of this this last model pulling from critical race theory um is the most dominant one how do christians who are trying to engage well with this what do we what do we do what do, what do we who do we talk to and obviously together and all but it's like that this has been one of those issues that's flared up multiple times for our community um and I think there's genuine and legitimate concern. If someone says, okay, I want this mutual responsibility approach. That sounds like a biblical way to approach this. Um, I don't want to throw out everything in one of the, these four models that Yancey laid out, but I, but it's not the only one. So, so what do, what do we do with that Claude? What do we do with our kids? Um, what, what do we do as a church as we talk to each other without stiff arm? Like, I'll, I'll stop. You go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 where things get get the trickiest. Um, yeah, I mean, I think with some of the critical race theory, I, I mean, I think there are. Um, yeah, it, it's difficult because some of that question is sort of like, what do I do if this is being taught to my kids, which is different from like, how should I just think about this when I am out of my own volition, deciding to engage with this topic and read and to learn. I think with critical race theory is such a big, big topic, big field hard to wrap your head around that, but you know, we kind of, kind of know it when we see it, I think it has some strengths in analysis. I think it has some very big problems in it's in its, uh, proposed solutions and, and it's sort of action steps. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would just, I would, I would try to do that whole, like, here are the pieces that we can be like, yeah, this is helpful. Like, okay, cool. And, and here are the things that, like, man, this gives me pause. I mean, I think, I think with our kids, you know, one, this, this is the one thing, um, you know, I think with this sort of colorblind component that is naive, but has some pieces where you sort of sort of desire it, where it's like for kids, we can we can really hurt them and damage them if we if we, if at an early age we're teaching them to see in certain ways that like they can't really handle, um, right? If we're if we're preparing them to like see everything through the lens of race, and and I think that's that's some of the things that are that are troubling. Um, and, and that's a difficult one to navigate, you know? Uh, I mean, I think you just got to figure out like, where's the balance between like teaching, like historical awareness um, and, and how you do that and at what ages, but then also like 
helping them to understand like, you know, you, you, you are also an individual person. Mm -hmm. Um, and just because this is part of a history, like you have choices that you're going to make, um, that this is, this is who you are. This is what our country's been and good. And this is what it's been and bad. So, so I think like we, you, we have to like translate and we have to be the one that helps our, our, our children or any of those people in our charge, like discern and filter, like we have to do that. So I think there are things you can say, Hey, the way they think about this is like, th- like this, this helps, right. That we should think about this. Like this is, this is an issue. Right. And, and, and this, um, you know, we're Christians and as Christians, X, Y, and Z, which is, which is a little bit different than this. And so like, you need to be aware of that. Right. And like, we want to respect everybody, but like recognize that like, this is, this is different for us as a family because of, because of who Jesus is. And so I think that that sort of stuff, just like trying to be that filter is hard. And I mean, I know, I know that's attached to harder decisions of like, you know, you know, school choices and all those sort of things, but that's, that's how I think. And I even recognize that with our own kids of like, like really wanting to teach them stuff, but then also recognizing, like, if I teach them some of these things, then they begin to, they don't have the um, analytical capacity to like discern. They just map this onto everything. Um, right. Or like, I see NBA players like, is he a slave? I was like, no, he's not. It's like Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is, you know, like, you know, and they're just like, just, they're, they're just trying to, to deal with this. And so I think that that's just like, we, we just got to have some trial and error and try to be the best filter for our kids. Like we know where they are and what they need and try to bring, bring, uh, bring our faith to bear on that. I appreciate you hitting that softball for us. Um, (laughs) It's an easy, it's an easy one. And I would come like for our church. I mean, as we take this, what I would love to see is just one of your pastors and really hopefully just one of your friends and a fellow journeyer in this is that we actually talk to each other through this stuff. Cause there are really important, difficult things that we're all trying to decide. Um, And the only way we move forward is if we get together and we talk in a respectful way that we're listening with the assumption the benefit of the doubt, unless we've proven each other wrong, that we actually long for the same things, which goes back to this Revelation 5 text, that we, we love the ethnic diversity that God has created. And so when Claude lays out like the scope of the problem, we have different questions or different answers, the, the solutions to the problems, the way it works out, but we can at least talk so that we can do better because our culture is not going to help us with that. So um, let me give you, I'll, I'll give you a, one more. Uh, we got a couple more minutes. It's really, I think, a very helpful one for our church. Um, you lived in Bellingham a number of years. You know, you know our city. You know the area. Um, what are ways we can foster a racially diverse local church, especially in an area like Bellingham that is not overly diverse? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think we talked about this really briefly last time. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's, a, it's difficult. It's a challenge. Um, you know, you can only kind of work with what your community looks like. Um, I think I said last time um, that there's a need, I think, to be aware of diversity sometimes, just in terms of sometimes it can be a false signifier. Um, and I think what matters more than that, because not every place has a capacity for it, is to think about like, are we, do we, does our church demonstrate compassion for, for those um, that are disadvantaged, those are forgotten, those are neglected, those that are on the margins, however you would consider those within your local context. So I think that is more important. I think if you do that, your church will grow with diversity um, because you'll be engaging with people who most likely are different from you in some, some marked degree. So, so I think it actually comes from like, um, the actual like Christian obedience that we do, like in, in the city, 
that that's where that would come from. Um, so I think that's more important than, than growing in diversity is actually like, do we care for the poor? Do we do those sorts of things as a church? But I think uh, that question is important. I think attached to it, um, uh, you know, I would say, um, talking about these sorts of things, like the fact that you guys as a church are doing this and, and, you know, there's 50 people on this thing and there were a lot of people on the first one. Um, I mean, those are the sorts of things, like if you're talking about these issues, praying about these issues, trying to think better about these issues, that, that communicates a lot. Um, and that lets, uh, people, um, of different backgrounds, it lets them know, like, what they'll experience in the community in terms of like, there's a concern there. So I, so I think that matters. Um, and I think what people, I think what people look for when they look for a church as a minority, right. To be a minority in a predominantly, um, white church means like you, you're gonna, there, there's a cost to that. And so, um, the way you do, this is based on conversations that have people. So it's again, not monolithic, but I think the way you do the calculus on that is, is like, do, do people really care or is every, t- or, or am I going to have to, you know, am I going to have to sort of like, are they going to look to me to be the one that gives the answers for all this stuff all the time? Are they going to treat me this way? Um, or am I going to have to like defend, uh, defend my experience, you know, in all these sorts of ways. And I think if there is a tangible sense of like genuine Christian compassion, um, and there's a desire to like think deeply and biblically and compassionately about these sorts of issues, then it helps people know that like, man, this is like, this will be a, uh, this will be a healthy family, a healthy spiritual family for me to be a part of. Um, they're not trying to skirt issues. They're not trying to give a weird, simple answer. Like they're trying to think hard about these sort of things. And, um, and people, people seem to care. And again, going back to what I said initially, their care is not just, you know, that they like to read about stuff, but like, like, look what they do in the community. Like they, they have a track record of like, they just, they just care for people. And, and I think that's where people are compelled. And I think that's where you draw people from, from different backgrounds to step in and say like, this is, this is a a body of disciples that I can be a part of. The other answer people would give you is y'all got to start doing some gospel songs and you got to start doing, Rob would start doing some different type of preaching and different stuff like that. Um, Or do a pulpit swap, right? With, with, uh, you know, so you guys can do those too. And then let me know how those go. (laughs) Well, you know, I've tried to get you to move back here about 87 times, Claude. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, uh, We're going to wrap up our time. I want to respect the the clock. Um, Hey man, so we we talked about kind of a next step for our church. Did you did you uh, finalize something to say like, hey, this is what I'd recommend for you. Here's like a real tangible, practical next step. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about that. I, I I would say like on a personal like on a personal note, like I would um, especially um, yeah on a personal note, I would just try to get some space to like journal or write down write down some just like your impressions from 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 tonight. So I would do that on a personal level. Um, like maybe maybe it's you write down the two three two, three things to like, man, I, I want to think about this a little bit more. I want to think and talk better in these ways. Like, Ooh, like this connected with me or man, this is a thing like, man, I, I, I've been, I've been growing in this or, or whatever. So I would do some form of personal reflection. I, I would probably encourage, um, actual, like, I think probably the best tangible thing would be to, to read, to read Yancey's book, to read, um, beyond racial gridlock and to, uh, to figure out, um, 
kind of way or format to like to try to practice this stuff and just talk about it. Um, so so that would be those would be the two things. I think some personal reflection and then, you know, hopefully for you guys out there at West Coast, obviously Zoom is Zoom is a possibility, but hopefully some things open up and you can can do that in an embodied sort of way, I think would just be a, a really great step forward. Cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah. And I would say, so for the, for those on the call, we'll get some info out on this. Um, but we'd love to, for those that want to go through that book, um, uh, I, I think it's a really helpful book. Um, just the paradigm, the, just the approach and handles, um, his structure in it, I just think is helpful. He, he's going to lay out some things that are positive about each of the approaches, some things that are concerning, um, it's a distinctively Christian approach. I think if I could have recommended, a, if I could go back and recommend one book this last year, that that would have been the book I would recommend. Um, and so um, I would love to, to help our church uh, connect. You all obviously don't have to do it through us. We don't have to organize it. It's great to do in your DGs and your GCs and just with friends. But we'll get a message out that has a link for the book. Um, and then also just uh, if you're interested in connecting with some other people to, to read and process. And I really do think that's the best way to go through this stuff because you need to be able to sit there and under what's being said and actually say, okay, this is what I liked. I'm confused here. I struggle with this. I think you'll come out of it with some pretty good handles. And so, Claude, man, love you, bro. Love you. So you great. Too, man. You, man. Love so your great church. Love all you guys. Appreciate yeah. just the invitation yeah. to be, be a part of this and offer some thoughts pray it helps you guys and just yeah continue pray we all can continue on this journey together yeah thanks man hey would you pray us out yeah definitely lord thank you for uh, your love and your mercy uh, towards us uh, thank you for uh, making uh, all humanity in your image lord um, in the beauty uh, and the diversity um, of your creation we give you thanks for that we do pray uh, for for our country lord uh, in so much tension and division and polarization lord we pray you would um, let your uh, redemptive uh, power uh, shine through uh, in in saving grace and common grace lord um, uh, for for our country in this time, uh, we do pray as well specifically uh, for uh, your uh, your kingdom as as uh, manifested in Bellingham, Lord, for all the churches there, Lord, that they would um, that they would be a, a shining light uh, to uh, to their neighbors uh, and to the city, uh, Lord, as uh, those who proclaim the gospel, but also demonstrate it in in word and deed and compassion uh, and truth and love and service. And pray that specifically for the people of Redeemer, Lord, I pray you would uh, bless them and keep them. Uh, Lord, make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.